It's Monday, April 14th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Helen, joining me in studio today from Fool.com, David Hansen. Thanks for being here. Yo. It's not actually April 14th, though, is it? No. No, no. We're taping this ahead of time because this week I'm going to be gone on spring break. You're going to be gone. I'm excited about where I'm going to Arizona. Where are you going? I'm going to Mexico. You're going to Mexico. We talked about <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm excited yeah. about Arizona. Arizona's not bad. Mar- Arizona. Um, I'm very. I'm very much looking the southwest part of the U.S. Gorgeous part of the country, of course. Um, but we are pre-taping Market Foolery this week. It's Industry Week. Longtime listeners may remember we do this from time to time. When, uh, when, frankly, when I'm not going to be around. So it's Industry Week, and with David Hansen in the room, that means we're talking about banking and financial services. Uh, we just lost half the audience. We exactly. <laughs> They're like. You know, if I wanted that, I'd listen to where the money is. Um, um, but le- let me start with this because uh, I think the last time we did Industry Week, uh, you know, several months back, I mentioned this. Ron Gross said one time that that he thought that energy was an industry that every investor with a balanced portfolio, a diversified portfolio, should have energy in it. And I'll be talking with Taylor Muckerman about energy. But do, first and foremost, do you feel that way about banking and financial services? Do you think for the average investor, someone who's got a diversified portfolio, is this a must? I don't think it is. And anyone who listens to where the money is knows I'm a pretty big homer when it comes to banks. But unlike energy that does kind of cater to a specific segment of the economy, banking kind of has its hands over everything. So it it's not as specialized as something like energy. So no, I wouldn't say that if you don't have a bank in your portfolio, you're not diversified enough. I was telling you earlier today, I look at the entire industry and I lump it into three groups. One is the big banks on Wall Street. The second group is all the other banks, regional banks, the Canadian banks that Jim Gillies talks about whenever he's here in the room, the tiny banks that Tim Hansen is a fan of. And then the third group is just Visa, MasterCard, anyone sort of in the payment space. And with the IPOs that we've had this year, it's quite possible we're going to have some some pure play payment IPOs coming down the pike. But is that broadly – do I have that right? What, what am, I can't possibly have that right. What am I missing? I feel like I'm missing something. Um, it's right enough. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the big banks are the ones who, who get all the headlines. But – I guess you could break it down into the big Wall Street banks, the Bank of America, Citigroups, Wells Fargo. And then there's kind of this regional bank that they're pretty large. You look at PNC, I think that's like the sixth or seventh biggest bank in the country, but you don't hear about it a lot. Capital One is an enormous bank. We think about the commercials, but... I was going to say, they do a lot of advertising. A lot of advertising, but this is one of the top, I mean, top seven biggest banks in the country here. So you have the big ones, and then you have these kind of middle regional players, and then it really starts to drop off after those. And there's probably 25 or so that have over $50 billion in assets. But then after that, it gets really small and pretty specialized and not much national coverage there. For someone who doesn't have a toe in these waters yet, what is the place to start? I think it's in those smaller banks. They're so much easier to understand. I mean, Banking in general got a really bad name coming out of the financial crisis. Some of it warranted for some some bad stuff they did. I you mean, think? I'm going to be the first one to admit that. Yeah, there were some shady shenanigans, some bad loans that were made, some bad people running the co- not bad people, but bad leadership mentality atop some of the banks there. But in terms of understanding a bank as investment, 
ask any kind of average Joe investor, and they're going to go, I can't understand a bank. Well, the, and, and uh, I want to stop you there for a second because apart from any shenanigans that went on, apart from questions about leadership and, and all of that, there is that very legitimate question of, I just don't know, you know, to go back to Ron Gross. He stays. He has said repeatedly he stays away from the big banks because he feels like he doesn't have an edge. And there is that behind-the-curtain part of some of the businesses where they just say, oh, yeah, and this part of the business where we're not <laughs> – that's, right. that's not nearly as transparent and straightforward mm-hmm. as other parts. Yeah, we made some money there too. Yeah, that's going to be the case at the big banks. But there are smaller banks that are very easily understandable. But everyone hears in the media or reads in the news that big banks are too complex. You can't understand them. Just stay away from them. Where are these very simple banks over there that could be good buys that people are just saying, I don't want anything to do with it. So an example is Bank of Hawaii, a bank that you might have guessed it is based Hold on, in Hawaii. Wait a minute. Let me take <laughs> it's a guess. Based in Hawaii. Uh, it's By much way, smaller. How great would that be if it wasn't? It was. It's an Arizona <laughs> bank. Uh, I think it's like a $2.5 billion market cap. So this is tiny compared to JP Morgan's of the world. This bank is super, super straightforward. They're based in an economy that you can understand. They have deposits on their balance sheet. So average customers like you and I go to the bank, have a deposit account with them. Then they turn around and lend those deposits out in the form of residential mortgages and business loans. I mean, that's not that hard of a business to understand there, is it? You take in some deposits, make some loans, and issue some debt to, to fund some more loans, it's pretty straightforward. And if you can kind of understand how the economy is doing, will they be paid back on those loans? That's the most important thing. You can get very good returns over time. Bank of Hawaii has been an outstanding performing bank, crushed the market over long periods of time, didn't even post a loss, or a loss during the financial crisis. Wow, really? So you can find these banks that are very profitable, didn't get into areas they shouldn't be in, and they've made great investments over a long time. I want to ask you a couple of questions about payments, and let's start with your partner in crime, Matt Kopenheffer, who is not in the office this week because he's back in Las Vegas at a conference, and it's a mobile. Do I have this right? It's a mobile payment conference. I think it's just a payments. All things payments. All things payments. We're taping this on a Tuesday. What have you heard from him so far about what he has seen there? Uh, obviously, a lot of those companies. I would guess the majority of those companies are small and mm-hmm. private. But what are you hearing so far? Well, he said that it's a little bit of a nerdy crowd, but that's what you can expect at a conference, right? I mean, it's always a little bit of a nerdy crowd, no matter where you are. Uh, but he said it's pretty interesting. I mean, this is a space that people are pretty fired up about payments, and I guess as fired up as you can get about payments. But with the emergence of Bitcoin, whether you believe in that or not, it's raised a lot of questions saying, is our current payment structure and the businesses that are involved in that the best? Can we do better than that? And I think that's a really encouraging thing when we have really smart people from MIT, from Berkeley, starting to think about payments, starting companies like Square that was started, I mean, that's probably, what, almost 10 years old now. Yeah. But stuff like that's going to be the next Square cropping up now, I think it's a really interesting time. And for consumers, we probably won't notice that much. I mean, it's not hard to pay with our credit cards now, but for some of the underlying businesses, uh, it may be easier to accept payments, uh, emerging markets, uh, smaller countries may be able to accept credit easier now. So I think it's an exciting time for payment. So it'll be interesting to hear what Matt has to say about it. You mentioned Square. There's rumblings that Square could be going public, if not in 2014, then certainly maybe in the next year and a half or so. I'm wondering, first, does that interest you? Does a payment company like a Square 
or if eBay were to spin off PayPal? Do, you know, do those do those interest you? Not really, and the the reason is I just said that consumers don't have a really close knit tie to any of these products. They're going to just go which whatever's convenient, and merchants are going to go with the option that costs them the less. Um, so if you look at Square, they charge their merchants. I think it's two and a half to two point seven five percent of the transactions. It's a good business for Square, but you look at Amazon's thinking about getting into this payments business where you can swipe something on a tablet. PayPal has the same thing. So there's not a huge moat into having an attachment go onto an iPad or a phone and start accepting it at your store. And when I look out five to 10 years, I have to think that the percentage that they're taking is going to continue to get squeezed as competition heats up. Where do Visa and MasterCard fit in the universe of banking and financial services in terms of investment attractability? (laughs) They're in a good position. Uh, They're in a better position than the kind of facilitators in a square or um, a PayPal, because they're the ones actually connecting the the financial institutions, which is the hard thing. If you have a customer that banks with Bank of America with their credit card, and you're the store, and you bank with Chase, those two banks don't talk to each other. So you have to go through Visa, which is that's a harder thing to set up than just putting a, a square dongle under your phone and swiping the credit card, right? So Visa and MasterCard, they have an enormous moat because they already have the relationships with the banks. That's the hardest thing. And all these other things like Square, like PayPal, they utilize Visa and MasterCard's network. So they're in a great position here uh, to grow here in the in the United States and also abroad. We are just kicking off earnings season. Before we get to the earnings view of banking and financial services, take a few seconds, give a plug for where the money is. Because for those who don't know, this is the daily show that Matt Copenheffer and David Hansen host, uh, very highly rated on iTunes. Uh, so check it out. And uh, I'm guessing while you and I, while anyone who's listening to this on April 14th, there's actually a, a, an up, a much more up-to-date <laughs> Edition yes. of where the money mm-hmm. is that Copenhaver is going to be doing, but for those who are like, what what is the pitch? What do, what do you guys do every day? Uh, so we're focused on the financial industry, and I don't want to completely bore everyone by saying we only talk about banks. We do, but we also talk about things that are very on the outside of the financial world as well. Visa and Mastercard. We talk about Bitcoin. We even talk about stuff like peer to peer lending stuff that's cropping up. People are saying, I don't really know much about that. I'd really like to learn more. A little bit of housing, too. A little bit of housing. Uh, So we tried to not just limit ourselves to talking about Bank of America, even though it's tempting. They're always in the news. (laughs) But we span the world of banking. So we try to get a little bit more of a in-depth discussion um, on certain topics that you may not get on other podcasts. Earnings season officially kicks off today because Alcoa, is reporting. God bless the people at Alcoa because they're not in the Dow Jones Industrial Average anymore, and this is all they get. And I'm loath to take it away from them, despite the rumblings that came up a quarter ago of some people saying maybe J.P. Morgan should be the unofficial kickoff. Like, no, come on. Is that their like company slogan now? It's just like we report first. That's what we're known for. Shouldn't it be? I, think I, it mean, I mean, I mean, what, maybe what, get a bump. What else is it? It's something about aluminum. Anyway, I don't want to rip on Alcoa. Um, it, uh, so, keeping in mind that we are that people will be listening to this after at least some of the big banks have actually reported their earnings. As we kick off earnings season, what are you most interested in seeing? Whether it is an individual 
bank or financial institution, whether it is a conference call that you're interested in listening to or one piece of one business, what are you most curious about this quarter? Well, you mentioned them, and I think they report fairly early in the week. It's J.P. Morgan. Um, This is going to be a really interesting quarter to watch in coming quarters because the results have been so clouded by other stuff going on at J.P. Morgan. So in 2012, you had the London Whale incident. That made results kind of hard to understand, okay, what does the underlying business really look like? And then in 2013, we had the massive $13 billion settlement. Yep. So that doesn't give you a super clear view about what the business is looking at. So this is going to be one of the first quarters where things start to look a little clearer at J.P. Morgan. And I'm personally a shareholder, and I'm bullish about the future of J.P. Morgan because I think the earnings potential has been shrouded by all this stuff going on here. And I think this could be one of the first quarters where people step back and say, wow, beyond all that bad stuff going on there and all that stuff doesn't doesn't make you feel great, there's a lot of money being earned by this company here. And you mentioned conference calls. It'd be interesting to hear what Jamie Dimon has to say, as always. He's had multiple lieutenants leave the post uh, at J.P. Morgan over the last couple of months. He lost his uh, COO recently, Mike Cavanaugh, went over to work at a private equity firm. So Cavanaugh was the one that at least some people were saying, well, whenever Dimon leaves, Cavanaugh's got the job. Yeah. And they lost another guy, Frank Bezignano. He left uh, a couple, couple months ago. So People have been leaving, and I think one of the reasons is you may argue that they're looking around saying, I don't want to be a part of J.P. Morgan anymore. But part of it is maybe they don't think Jamie Dimon is going, going away anytime soon. I mean, this guy's a lifetime banker. What's he going to retire and go do? Right. <laughs> What's he going to go like, oh, I want to go join Augusta and just play golf every day? No. Like, this guy has made his life in the boardroom. He's a pretty young guy when it comes down to CEOs. I think they're looking around and saying, Hey, look, if Diamond didn't leave after all the stuff that happened over the last two years, he's not leaving anytime soon. He also strikes me as the kind of guy who, after all the flack he's taken over the last few years, whether you think he deserves it or not, part of him probably looks at that and says, no, 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 I want a few good years under my belt so that I'm not walking away. But I think you're right. He does strike me. You know, we 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 actually see that more frequently, or or maybe it's just talked about more in the realm of sports, whether it's pro athletes who are hanging on and trying to get one more year, or coaches who just keep coaching because, as you said, what else are they going to do? Yeah, the analogy I've used is Coach K at Duke. Everyone's like, he could be nearing retirement. What in the heck is Coach K going to go do with all of his free time? I mean, this guy's life is basketball. Jamie Dimon, his life is banking and. I think he's a fine CEO. I don't think he's the greatest on Wall Street like some people do, but I think he's sticking around. He's going to be there for a while. Well, and I'm dating myself a little bit, but I think that particularly when it comes to sports and also when it comes to the world of business, anyone who who is of my age or older who follows college football probably remembers quite keenly Bear Bryant, the legendary coach at the University of Alabama, who coached forever. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it was maybe two months after he retired that he died. Yeah. And I think they just look at that and go, oh, no, 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 I, that, that's not going to be exactly. me. Check out Where the Money Is. It is the daily podcast from David Hansen and Matt Copenheffer. Very highly rated. It's on iTunes. It's on Stitcher. Are you on the Swell app too? We are. Yeah. 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 If you're listening to this, 
then you have the opportunity to listen. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, you got the chance to at least check out, kick the tires with one or two. Give us one shot. Give Come us, on, give, just one. Give them a week. Yeah, and, that's all I ask. And you know what? Probably not this week because this week, Copenhagen's like – Yeah, I'm, I'm gone. So. Yeah, David's gone. Make it the next week. Make it the next week. <laughs> give him a week. See how it wears on you and uh, we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being here, man. For sure. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Someone punch me in the face.